This is Channel 253. In this episode of Citizen Tacoma. And then when we talk about accountability measures, this is important because people want accountability. But I'll tell you, the tools that we have for accountability before us now in other, and in other ordinances that we looked at are to find to, and, or to arrest somebody. And we need to acknowledge that in both those cases, that's asking for police intervention. And then it's, it's kind of approving a level of force. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. back to another episode of Citizen Tacoma. I'm your host, Eric Hanberg, and my guest today is uh, City Council member and Deputy Mayor Catherine Ushka, and we talk about homelessness, affordability, and what's happening on the east side and the south end. So let's check it out. Welcome back to Citizen Tacoma, where we talk uh, with elected officials and community leaders about the issues of the day. My guest uh, today is uh, Eastside City Council member and uh, this year Deputy Mayor Catherine Ushka. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me today. And I got to tell you, it's East Side and South End. Don't forget my South Enders I, there. In I don't want to forget the South Enders. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I'm really glad to talk to you. Um, we talked a year ago about uh, policing. And I really appreciated having your insight on that. Uh, right now, you know, not that policing has gone away, but uh, homelessness is really at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Um, how do we treat folks humanely? How do we uh, show compassion? How do we address uh, public safety? All sorts of questions around it. Um, you are uh, way more in the know than I, I am right now. So I wanted to start with just a question like, what is the state of homelessness right now in Tacoma? What are, what are we seeing in terms of uh, the trends? What's up? Well, I think it's really challenging. Um, and that's, there's no way to overstate that at this point. Um, in the last few years, we've definitely seen the numbers of people who are experiencing homelessness and uh, they are unsheltered increase, um, even though we've, uh, the city has increased its capacity for services. So, and that includes a couple of different temp sites um, and some other things in progress. We can't leave out Avery Court, which is the hotel on Cosmer that's been converted to be a shelter for now that will be transferred into long-term housing. And yet issues persist. Um, I could just go on about so, this. So those were to interrupt me. Okay, I will. I'll jump in then. Uh, so the things that you mentioned, uh, you said TEM sites. That's um, things that have been put up by the city um, to house people uh, in, in theory as transitional housing. Plus, was it the city or the county that bought the hotel um, for this, this same idea as well? So we've been doing in some ways, it feels like a lot more than when we ever have. And yet it also seems like it is not to the scale of, of the problem. Yeah, I think that since the last time we talked, we had already had the stability site down on lower um, Puyallup Ave. 
we then had a, I think it was 45 person. They look like tiny homes. Yeah. Those are the temporary emergency shelters that, and they were at 60, no, um, yeah, 60, 60 something in McKinley. Uh, they moved over to 80 something in Proctor and expanded by about 20. There's another one over on North Orchard, um, just off of sixth Avenue. Uh, there's another one under consideration, uh, also down in the, uh, I'm not sure exactly. It's a TPU property down in the uh, 80 something block of South Tacoma. Um, and then there's the Avery Court, which you just discussed. And that is actually a pretty monumental thing because it isn't just the county. It is the county, the city and Lakewood wow. collaborating together in an effort to address this. And, you know, um, historically, if you've been tracking people that are unsheltered and the challenges that we have, Tacoma's bared the brunt of, of service for decades and decades and decades. So having this collaboration with Lakewood and Pierce County is something that's extremely valuable. And quite frankly, gives me a lot of hope because people that are experiencing homelessness aren't just coming from Tacoma. And quite frankly, we're not funded to, to, to bear the brunt on our own. So it's always a challenge. It does It does feel, at least from the outside, that the county is doing more than they have before um, to, to address this. Is that an accurate uh, assessment, again, from an outside view? I think that's a very accurate uh, assessment. I almost feel like it's a 360 turnaround, but it's not. It's something that's uh, taken a lot of time. I think our mayor had a lot to do with some of that transition when she tried to start a group of mayors talking about homelessness um, and didn't really have any takers. And so she started talking about affordable housing and then people got into dialogue. Today, you'll find out that Heather Moss, who directs uh, human services at the county, and Linda Stewart, who directs the neighborhood and community uh, program in Tacoma that manages all of our uh, unsheltered services, are collaborating on on what to do next. And that's that's powerful. So despite those new sites, despite uh, the hotel being converted into, into housing, it also seems like the problem is at least uh, visibly worse. And again, this could just be perception. Um, It could be that people are seeing things that they didn't used to see before and and putting it in new context. Is is this uh, getting worse or is it about the same as it was, let's say, two years ago? How how is your sense of uh, the problem um, of of unsheltered folks, you know, not having the services that they need, not having housing? Uh, What's your sense of that? It's worse. Okay. Um, And back when I first came on to council in 2017, we were talking about if we could come up with, I think, it, I don't know, maybe it was 400 more beds. I can't remember. Um, we would have enough beds to have a conversation about, you know, having enough shelter for everybody. Um, and we'll get into the Boise dis- discussion in just a second, which is one of these things that limits our ability to do accountability. And accountability humanely is another conversation. So I just want to put that all out there at yep. once. Um, but uh, at this point, since the TEM site, since... Um, I'm sorry, the stability site that Mayor Marilyn Strickland put into place after her first emergency order on homelessness. The city now has like 1,005 available shelter spaces, which is significant. And, and yes. that includes that includes a variety of, of services, by the way. Right. And so that's those tiny homes. That's overnight beds. That's uh, longer term housing options. And provided by the city, many nonprofits, churches, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I guess that that gets into we have so many of our neighbors who are living on on the streets in tents uh, in the woods. 
Um, and how we address this, if I understand correctly, has been constrained um, by the Boise decision. Could you just briefly say, for those who don't know, um, what happened in in with Boise that affects Tacoma? Sure. My non-lawyer description of the Boise decision is this. Um, we can't compel uh, anybody who's living on public property needs to be able to remain unless you can offer them adequate shelter opportunities. Right. So um, one way that is, I'm not, I'm not going to say Tacoma but necessarily, but one way that a city might have addressed homelessness was a sort of um, move, move them along. Oh, there's an encampment here where you're going to clear that encampment, but there's not going to be another place to go. They'll probably um, that we're providing. It's just going to probably disperse it or move it around somewhere. Is a strategy that um, many cities did, and now the the law would say they can't do that. Correct, and then that was compounded more by um, the COVID pandemic right. and um, the CDC's direction not to disperse camps whatsoever. So. In the city of Tacoma, we weren't constantly dispersing people in the first place, right? Um, but we, because we were looking for ways to have adequate shelter, because it's the humane thing to do. But there's also levels when it becomes challenging. So pre 2017, there wasn't a conversation citywide about homelessness. There was certainly a conversation in the fourth district and in, in the fifth district, where uh, it was more likely that there were larger homeless encampments that were encroaching on neighborhoods. Um, so. The whole city didn't see it, just half the city. Well, and also, you know, our point in time count was showing regular progress. You know, it, um, at least by one measure, which I understand is inaccurate, every January there was a point in time count of how many folks are homeless uh, or who are experiencing homelessness. Um, that number regularly decreased from its high in the aughts, and it only started picking up again, you know, in the mid-teens. Is that um, that's my recollection, and so it, it felt like we were we were we were doing we were getting a handle on it. It, it did, and it's important for me to just point out for people that are listening that when we say the point in time count, it's just that it might be a higher number, it might be a lower number. It's really just the people that are seen that day as volunteers go out. But it's not just about having enough shelter spaces for everybody. It's also having shelter spaces that people want to go to. Um, and that's relevant because people simply will say, no, I don't, I don't want that service. I want to stay here. Um, and there's a variety of good reasons people might feel that way based on uh, past trauma, based on whatever their experiences are. Um, so, for instance, when we started the stability site, initially we found that there weren't that many people that were interested in it. But as word got out that it was actually a pretty good gig, you could be in your tent on the outside, there was food, there were showers, you had 90 days to kind of figure out some sort of a goal or a plan. Um, and you could also move under the, I'm going to call it the big tent, but I don't know if that's appropriate. Um, as you as you went up, more and more people were interested in it. So there's a lot to be said about the building of trust among communities that are unhoused and the acceptance of services as well. Yeah. So within these last, last couple of weeks, there was um, a pretty substantial uh, encampment under the 705 that was cleared, swept, whatever the, the word is. Why is something like that 
allowed, given everything that we just talked about with the, the Boise decision, were there enough beds available for those folks? Is that is that what, what the difference was? Do you know? Typically, we wait until we have enough beds to be available before we, we the, the city, before they do any kind of disbursement, um, very much to be in accordance with the Boise decision. In this case, I don't believe there was an equal number, um, but because of the level of uh, perceived public safety issues. You probably saw the pictures of the huge plumes of smoke coming up over 705. There was concerns about bridge stability and other things. Um, I want to tell you at the same time that for more than a year, there was a pretty um, aggressive camp of people that were unsheltered living at 71st and I, and that's now also been dispersed. But uh, it's interesting that nobody had really heard of that. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me of, of how many people accepted shelter and how many people didn't. Mm -hmm. And it does become a challenging thing because we don't want to just disperse people because they will in fact be someplace else. Right. Right. Um, at the same time, when there's a certain concentration, it seems, and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to paint this with a big brush because every person that is unsheltered is as individuals, you and I, right. Um, but it seems when there's a higher density, that there's more conflict and that conflict is both within the camp and within the community around it. And it's conflict like fires, um, illegal activity, things like that. So the solution, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say the solution. One of the, the solutions would be, um, abundant housing, building significant amounts of housing units, um, to get these folks into homes, um, to prevent more people from falling out of the bottom, like the Kankak story Will James did about the Merkel Motel, and you know those folks who um, were at the last rung of the housing ladder, um, and when that was closed, didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, that is also, you know, a, a multi-hundred million dollar, per, you know, solution. Um, if I had to estimate what else can we do that is, um, you know, maybe, uh, on that direction that might address it without that much investment, or is that really just what it's going to take? Well, I want to say a couple things first, when Please. you talk about building housing, I mean, we need, this country has built too little housing for the last 20 years. So we're seeing a crunches at all levels of income. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that gets pushed down. Uh, so the people that have the least have the least access, right? So when we're building that housing and you're, what you saw through Home in Tacoma and some of the MFTE changes is going to create a different level of affordability, which will create, should create more access in, in areas that would be then uh, lower rents even than that. But that said, with the kind of things that we're looking at here and nationwide, I think we really have to make sure that we're making solid investments in permanently sustainable housing. And so that's where people are actually, um, whether they have a voucher from HUD or something else, because there are people, the Merkel Hotel was a perfect example, that are living on disability or something else. And these are rates that the federal government hasn't significantly changed for 20 years. Yeah. Um, simultaneous to this, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the nation went through deinstitutionalizing anybody who had a disability, which was important, right? And I'm glad that they did that. But there was a fear then, and I worked in the industry then, um, that once we got people out of the institutions, they would cut the funding and not really resume the same level of service. And that's proven to be accurate. 
So now you have municipalities and towns and cities trying to address. Sorry, sorry. Really broad... I, I, I uh, deinstitutionalize. I, I, I lost. Uh, what are we talking about? Was deinstitutionalized? Uh, people with disabilities and um, people with mental illness. So back in the 70s, even, you saw large institutions that really treated people very poorly. Um, and back in the day, if your child was severely disabled, you might send them to that state institution, right? We, we changed a lot, bringing people into um, stable homes and group homes and things like that and apartments. And as we stepped people into those sorts of facilities, the funding sources changed. And so the amount of money that was going into maintaining those large institutions wasn't then equally dispersed among those same people that are learning to live somewhat independently in apartment settings, for instance. I see. So and now you have a larger housing precarity in that group. Now, in Tacoma in particular, we have a higher degree of housing precarity across our whole population than I think any other place in Washington, according to the report that um, uh, I saw. And that housing precarity uh, very much disproportionately affects people of color and very much disproportionately affects uh, black people in that precarity. That's a really important thing to look at as well, because as we're looking at how to keep people, how to address the homeless situation, I think it's responsible to be making sure that we're finding ways to keep people in their houses in the first place. Yeah. Otherwise we're just creating a, uh, a revolving door and that's, and I think we've done that long enough. Yeah. Um, this is, a, this is maybe only a half formed thought that I have. Um, but I feel like as someone who uh, either calls himself a progressive or who aspires to be, um, I see, you know, the progressive solution to this is what I laid out, you know, abundant housing, you know, lots of housing available. Um, and I also see that it is uh, incredibly expensive and I don't have a solid example how to pay for it except to turn to the state or the feds. Um and then I, I see that then other decisions such as Boise are creating situations where um, I, I have a strong vision of what it should look like. It's not being funded. And so the result being that we have very large encampments that are um, scary to live in that uh, someone drives by and they, they don't like it and they worry about what's happening to their community, causing a um, knee-jerk reaction uh, toward, you know, the solution to this is, you know, more police, give everyone bus tickets, you know, this isn't the Tacoma that I grew up in. And I don't know how to break out of that um, cycle because the progressive vision that I see, I also don't know how to pay for. Um, and I guess my only question is, uh, do you do you agree with that rough you know assessment, and do you have a way out of it? I agree with that rough assessment, and I'll tell you, I think it's more dichotomous than you've even uh, described. Um, the public opinion that we've received over the last couple of years really ranges from um, an, a request that we eliminate people that are unsheltered to a request that we build homes on the sidewalks where people are have put their tent. And the answer is someplace in the middle. Um, there's a lot that we can do towards increasing housing capacity, uh, including passing the affordable housing tax, which is something that I co-sponsored within weeks of the legislature giving us opportunity. And it did pass here. So you'll be seeing uh, uh, 
how that will be expended through the Economic Development Department recommendations in the EDC community shortly if they're not already there. And I say that because I moved from that committee to a different committee, so I'm not sure of their, their schedule right now. Um, simultaneous to that, when we talk about that um, density and all the challenges that are there, that, that it's not that everybody who wants to see a solution is um, not progressive or that they're hyper-conservative. It's that they've spent 20 years building their home. And if, if you lived next to me and you had uh, outrageous amounts of garbage with um, trash or you were not using um, adequate human waste facilities, I would call code enforcement. There would be something that would happen so that you wouldn't do that and infringe on my ability to enjoy my own home. So, and those are the things that are people are talking about, but it escalates much further than there. So the city's done a couple things to try and address some of that. And that started back in the first part of 2000. And there was things like, how can we help with garbage pickup? And the city can't go into a, to a, a camp of unsheltered people and start picking up garbage because it's not for us to decide what's garbage and what's somebody's possession. So we actually contracted with um, service providers who went in with either purple bags on TPU bag land or, or city of Tacoma bags to help people get garbage in, into garbage cans or garbage bags and put them in a particular location for regular pickup. So that's a start of trying to get to the middle of that um, in terms of if there's going to be a camp there. I mean, imagine this, if there was a camp next to you and it was a clean campsite and that person had access to facilities and you knew his name was Bob and her name was Linda or, or whatever, and what they were working on, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? It's the challenge of not knowing who it is, of, of seeing things escalate that either are suspicious or give us pause um, and, and the garbage. So do I think we've made progress? Absolutely. Do I think the answer's there? No. And I think that even when we get to all those places that we just discussed, and I'm going to talk about another recommendation from the city in a minute, um, I think that we'll still have a problem because even back in 2017, before this exploded to the level of crisis it is today, there was a known kind of core of, of people that wanted to remain homeless or persistently homeless people or unsheltered people. They just, it didn't matter what service you were going to offer. They're not interested. So for some people, it's building relationships and it's the third or fourth ask in the right facility. And some people are going to want to stay. As a municipal, as a municipality, at some point, we're going to have to decide if there's some sort of accountability measure that we want to hold people to. What does that mean, and, an accountability measure? I'm not really sure yet, right? It's an accountability measure like, no, you can't, you can't create that kind of chaos and tense in a neighborhood or on public space. Um, without accountability, it has to be addressed in some way, just as you couldn't do it in your own yard. Um, so really following the same laws that the rest of us do in terms of social contract of living in a society. Easier said than done, and also trying to find a way to do that in a way that's humane and, and respects the dignity of individuals, regardless of their housing status, is really the thought work that I've been doing. Um, and how do you do that in a way that is both in accordance with the law and meets the funding sources that we have available. So I don't have an answer and that's what you asked me for. I have um, an idea of a path forward. I think if we can 
go through the steps that we've been going in terms of increasing the housing that we have, continue to support NCS and the trash programs and other things, as well as the outreach workers. We expanded um, their team by two people who are going and offering services on a regular basis and encouraging um, additional shelter sites or safe parking uh, throughout our community. Because, you know, every time everybody wants it gone, but every time we suggest a site, nobody wants it near them. And that's, that's challenging. Um, because it's a dichotomy of we want it, but don't but don't do it here. Um, I, I think in general, the city seems to have done a pretty good job when I look at a map of uh, spreading out the TEM sites and uh, locating them in multiple districts. Um, but I understand that that is a challenge in terms of, you know, that specific, uh, you know, that specific location with those specific neighbors. Yeah, uh, agreed. Right now, I think that there's a disproportionate amount going into South Tacoma and District 5. And I think that's something that we need to keep an eye on okay. because that's also a higher needs area in the first place. Yeah. Um, you were at the is it safe Tacoma or Tacoma safe? Um, I think it's Tacoma safe Tacoma safe uh, town hall, whatever you want to call it. What was your takeaway from uh, what that group is asking? Um, they really mostly asked for the business community to have a voice into some of the things that are happening. I know that what I heard they were going to talk about and what I've heard that they talked about have been vastly different than what I heard them say. <laughs> um, so in terms of the, it, during the event itself, it was very much focused on how do we work together towards solutions? And that's positive. Um, I think that the other thing that I heard is that people are angry and frustrated, and rightfully so. If your windows were broken, you know, every time you replace them at $2,000 a pop, there's really only so much you can take. Um, I don't know, and, and that phenomena of everybody breaking windows, I'm not sure where that's coming from, because it's not something that happened uh, in years prior when there was when there was challenges. With that in mind, uh, it's important this is a good place for me to mention the mayor's initiative uh, to use some of the ARPA funding for uh, offsetting the cost of some of that damage to businesses who will apply. Uh, additionally, hiring some security, security, quite frankly, to kind of rove the business districts after hours, just because presence can be the best deterrent that exists anyway. Uh, not to usurp uh, anything that TPD is doing, but to make sure that we have something augmented as we continue to work on police forces. So I think it's also important for people to know that myself, and I don't think any of my colleagues, condone criminal activity, regardless of your housing status. That's not okay. Right. There is a sense, and, and again, I wasn't there, but there is a sense that... Um, this is one of those groups that is asked, you know, that that believes the solution is um, more more police uh, kick everyone out. That that is, you know, take a hard line. Let's say. Um, sure, and it's a good reason. There's a good reason people feel that way about them. Right. When they started, they were backing the pathway to shelter, which is the ordinance that came before the council in December from some colleagues that are now passed and one remaining, that in the end, the ordinance that it reflected was nothing but a camping ban. It said, it said find people and, or arrest people. I mean, that's, it was a camping ban. Uh, that is exactly what's been deferred into my committee, the Community Vitality and Safety Committee, 
for a recommendation back to council. And it's a lot of the, the thought work that I've been doing. At this point, when you talk to members of, of that organization, they will tell you that they don't support a camping man, that they're looking for humane shelter for everyone because, and it's an argument that I've made before that I think that we can concur with. If there's, if it was my, if my daughter, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, whatever, was living on the street without shelter and in all sorts of weather conditions and without services, I would want somebody to interrupt them and get them help, right? So you don't think that they are advocating for that uh, anymore? I mean, that was only two months ago. I, um, I, that's what I'm hearing, and, I, and I'm not going to tell you that I have the pulse sure. of that organization whatsoever. Uh, I think that they might have had some challenges in that group. I do believe that the business organization that they tried to put together is happening, and I don't know if we'll keep the same name or a different name. Um, I would really defer you to speaking to that organization. But yeah, about you're, you're right. I, 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 shouldn't, I shouldn't ask um, you to speculate on a on a group you're not a part of. Um, no, I can just I can tell you that. It, and, and to be clear, any group that wants to hear wants city council members present to listen to them, we're going to show up. Okay, with um, your work with the uh, community and vitality, what's the S? CVS services services community and and vitality services committee. Um, you are looking at some of these questions. You said that that's where you're putting uh, a lot of your thought these days, um, recognizing that nothing you know is past, nothing is before uh, the council. Um, where where do you see you know the next moves happening? Well, what we were asked to do is to review the uh, the idea of a camping ban and make a recommendation back to council. We agreed that we could get some sort of recommendation back to council by the end of March or the end of the first quarter of this year. So we've looked at some um, camping ordinance that other municipalities have, um, and we've uh, considered partial bans. Like, and when I say a partial ban, it would be not within so many feet of school or or daycare or something else. I get concerned about those sorts of things because it infers that somebody without shelter is a danger to children or that children will be somehow traumatized by seeing somebody who has less than them. Um, but finding that balance is important. And quite frankly, I had a challenge with the partial ban because if you, anytime you say disperse people from certain areas, where are they going to go, right? Are they going to go deeper into neighborhoods? I, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's the solution right now. Um, looking at how we can work with existing services and the plans that we have ahead of us to get to a place where we can both provide services and choices and then also figure out some kind of accountability measure is probably relevant. One of the discussions I've had with my colleagues and with the city manager is that every now and then you do see us disperse a camp, right? And for the most part, it has been when we have an equal number of beds available or, or shelter units available, whether or not people accept them. Um, but what exactly is that criteria? Right, right now it happens um, by an administrative decision by the city manager. And I think that's been fine under the emergency operations, but clarifying that in ordinance for people I think would be helpful because if, it's, if, if there's something egregious happening near your home, you, you, feel, you feel vulnerable, right? So we need to give people some assurance that there's, that there's somebody tracking it and that there's a level that won't be tolerated. I, and I don't know what that level is. And then when we talk about accountability measures, this is important because people want accountability, 
But I'll tell you, the tools that we have for accountability before us now in other, and in other ordinances that we looked at are to find to, and, or to arrest somebody. And we need to acknowledge that in both those cases, that's asking for police intervention. And then it's, it's kind of approving a level of force. Right. Because if they're not going to move, you're saying you're going to arrest them and, and, and take them and into all that custody. In, and all that entails. Right. And, and when you say that to people who want accountability, and I've had this conversation multiple times, they say, oh, I don't want that but I want accountability. So my question to them and to anybody listening that has the idea is then what is accountability and how do we do it? I proposed to my colleagues at last Thursday's meeting as an idea, just so that we get something on the wall to talk through that maybe accountability is about keeping using our, um, the services that we've put together for trash removal and things like that. And maybe putting some things that says if it's an unsanctioned camp, you still can't have propane tanks. You still can't build illegal shelters because you'll see some pretty interesting things built built in camps. You can't have, you know, maybe you can't have X amount of what might be garbage or more possessions that fits within, I don't know how many feet of a tent. I have no idea right. um, what that criteria would be, but something to put something around it so that people are safer all around. The challenge I have, even in that conversation, as I think through it, is let's say Jane Doe is living someplace unsheltered, and now four other people come around her and they create things that are that are not acceptable. When we go in and disperse that camp, Jane Doe, who wasn't doing anything wrong, is held responsible for those people's behavior. And so and I think it's important that we figure out a way around that. I don't know the answer. And that's why when you first asked me what's the state of What's the state of it? I said very challenging. Yeah. So uh, maybe maybe a final question here uh, before we take a break and and move on to some other topics or at least related topics. Um, what what does the next year or two look like um, to move out of out of this place? Like like what are the things uh, listeners who are uh, engaged and curious and want to participate possibly, you know, even if it's just writing letters to folks. Um, if we were going to do, get a, actually get a handle, um, on this crisis, um, what might we want to see over that time, time frame? Any, any thoughts that come to mind? Well, we need more, um, shelter and housing solutions and opportunities for transfer to long-term housing, um, from a community standpoint, we uh, we need people to have compassion. And that sounds um, like a very mushy statement to say. But if you get to know the people that are out there, it's a different story. Um, people that are treated with disrespect tend to behave with disrespect. Um, so if there's ways that you can engage, we're going to have a presentation on volunteer opportunities at the Community Vitality and Safety Committee. I think it's at the next meeting. It might be the one subsequent to that. And my hope from that presentation was to help individuals in the community that care know how they can engage positively in a way that will help solve this. There's also, and I know that you want to go into break, but there's also the recommendations from CP21 that included increasing our outreach capacity, doing a crisis response team, and uh, looking at non-emergency call diversion that could help augment some of those same issues that we're addressing. And that relates to the policing conversation we had a year ago, which is, is that how you how you look at policing and public safety could affect this as well, I guess, is what you're saying. 
Right, because there's places that we want engagement from the city that aren't police. If you're having a mental health crisis, you don't necessarily need a police officer. You need somebody who is an expert in mental health crisis resolution. Yeah. Um, so building those teams, there's some challenges there, but uh, we'll see some of that start to happen. And certainly all of it should be implemented within the next 18 months. But that's a deeper conversation again. Okay. Well, uh, why don't we go to break and uh, we'll come back in uh, just a moment and talk about uh, the east side and the south end and what's happening in your district. So stick around. Hello, I'm Evelyn Lopez, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Crossing Division. This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by Microsoft. Microsoft is proud to support Rainier Scholars. Rainier Scholars believes that all students deserve an equal opportunity to excel academically and become our next community and business leaders. And now they're in the 253. Rainier Scholars Tacoma is a long-term college readiness program for underrepresented students of color in the Tacoma community. They recruit in the fourth grade, start working with students and families the summer before fifth grade, and walk alongside them through college completion with the goal of graduating with minimal debt. Do you know a student who should be part of the first Tacoma cohort? Recruitment is now underway. Microsoft and Rainier Scholars share the desire to cultivate a growth mindset and believe every student deserves the opportunity to achieve more. To find out more about Rainier Scholars in Tacoma, visit rainierscholars.org and click Tacoma. My thanks to Microsoft for their support of Channel 253 and Rainier Scholars. Welcome back. Thank you to our sponsor and thank you to the members of Channel 253 who uh, help us keep the lights on and the mics rolling. Uh, you can support the work that we're doing at channel253.com slash membership. And that is $4 a month or $40 a year. A special podcast with sound producer Doug uh, that is a special perk of that membership as well as access to the Channel 253 uh, forums uh, where you get a talk in a, in a place where you don't get uh, random people shouting at you like you might on Twitter. So it's a nice uh, nice opportunity. Check it out, channel253.com slash membership. Uh, let's uh, come back to our conversation um, let's zoom out a little bit. You mentioned, you know, one of the reasons that we're uh, affecting or that we are having the, these issues uh, around homelessness is rising housing uh, unaffordability. Is that a word? Inaffordability? Rising housing costs. How about that? A much shorter word. Um, what's happening uh, that, that you're seeing? Uh, uh, how are we addressing this as a community or a state or as a nation? Because as you said, it's 20 years of not enough housing. Well, in multiple ways. Uh, for one, we've expanded the multifamily tax exemption program um, and increased the propensity for people to use one that would require an affordable housing segment. Now, that creates a, a lower barrier of affordability, but it doesn't create that long-term sustainable housing that we talked about. I mentioned the um, affordable housing tax that the city of Tacoma did, in fact, pass a year and a half ago. Um, or maybe it was a year ago, and uh, the funding that will create more housing opportunities there. As you know, we just went through a long process for the first phase of Home in Tacoma, which will change zoning to allow for denser housing along certain corridors throughout Tacoma. 
all of those things are going to give us opportunities for more housing across the ground. I can tell you, I was looking at Redfin last night just because I sometimes do to see what's going on. And on Lower Portland Ave, there's houses going for $600,000. Wow. If you would have told me that 15 years ago, I would have told you you're out of your mind. How about five years um, ago? <laughs> right, right. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So there's so there's a lot of different things happening there, um, certainly in the Lincoln District. And if you haven't, if you didn't have a chance to go to the Chinese New Year on February 5th, the year of Lion, keep it in mind for next that year. That was a it's great celebration. In town. Yeah. Um, there's been two or three um, MFTE approvals there and at least one new building. There's another one going up across from uh, Lincoln High School. Can we define real on, quick MFTE? I'm sorry, multifamily tax exemption. And that, that allows, uh, makes it slightly easier for developers to, to build up, basically. Correct, correct. It gives them a tax exemption for a certain number of years and how many years uh, depends on um, the sort of MFT program they want to go into. If it's uh, eight year, there's no affordability requirement. If it's, I want to say 12 year, it's required 20% affordability. Um, and there's a new one that the state started that I don't know all the details to. That's a 20 year exemption, but it requires not only um, affordability, but opportunity for home ownership. Yeah. So I'm looking for opportunities uh, and ways that the city can work together and maybe converge some of those programs yeah. for some assets in our community. I'm I'm also hopeful that the uh, that the state laws might affect this because I recognize Tacoma might be doing some work, um, but if the surrounding suburbs, if the unincorporated counties aren't also um, moving in the same direction, I feel like it wouldn't be enough. But if we can do this statewide. It feels like the chance of of being able to build everywhere, um, you know, every, within the, the limits of growth management, um, are still, you know, will will help more than what any one city can do. Uh, although I was disappointed that, if I understand correctly, the the official city of Tacoma position is not, or is is that that is was to speak against that bill. Um, did you have any insight into that? Sure, that's about preemption of local authority. We just did all this work on home in Tacoma. So it's not about, we don't want you to do it across the state where people aren't already willingly engaging in it in a way that works with their community. They should be compelled. But in Tacoma, we don't need that compulsion. With our local authority, we've already put all of those uh, mechanisms in place to try and expand uh, access to those to that density. That's what home in Tacoma was all about. Right. So how do you compel uh, you know, UP without compelling Tacoma? Or is that an option or is that the, the, the is that the choice? You, or? You, you, I mean, I, I assume that you write something into the legislation that exempts Tacoma from it as long as we continue to make progress on the same path. Oh, I hold see. Us accountable to doing, to, hold us accountable to doing our own work within authority that meets the goal. I see. So, so um, growth management established certain minimums that the cities then had the freedom to make decisions within. Um, and this one doesn't operate in that same way. It would be just a blanket change. Is that a, an assessment? I'm, and, and I'm asking, I my don't under, know the answer. My understanding of the legislation, and I don't know it line and verse, and I ought to, is that it would be a, it would simply change zoning um, within certain quarters uh, uh, Got it. In, in certain size cities throughout the state, independent of the city's authority. Got it. Okay. Um. I also wanted to get a chance to ask you about what's happening uh, on on in your district. Um, 
because uh, I recognize that you do not represent uh, all of Tacoma. Uh, you represent uh, a fifth. So I'm curious, uh, what do you see happening on, on your side? I know there are some some projects, uh, you know, with some public lands that might be in the works. Uh, what can you tell us? Uh, well, in addition to the building that we're seeing in the Lincoln District, we're also seeing a number of projects coming into uh, the McKinley area. Now, seeing this sort of thing come and knowing that there hasn't been a lot of conversation about design or livability or what community wants, I worked collaboratively with Councilmember Hines um, last year to put together the last budget cycle to put together funding for a neighborhood planning uh, pilot program. And the idea is that they would start with McKinley and Proctor, both of whom are seeing a high degree of development, and then figure out some way to do it on a biannual basis or an annual basis based on equity and the rate of growth in that area. So the McKinley neighborhood planning um, project just kicked off about a week ago, uh, and it's Laura Hukenager. Um, I think it might be Lauren. I'm going to have to correct that, and I'll apologize on air because I probably got it wrong, um, is leading that off. And there'll be a number of opportunities for people to participate. So if you missed that kickoff, don't worry, you can still participate. And that's about looking at what do people that live here want to see, and then how can we help implement those things. Without uh, limiting the development, hopefully. I mean, you know, that's those, those neighborhoods are where we do need to build up. So I, I, they're not going to be able to stop things, right, but perhaps participate more. I'm not even seeing a willingness to want to stop things. It's more of a willingness to make sure that things are congruent, if that makes sense. Um, We need need to worry about things. Mm, What happens when you live in an area of lower lower economic opportunity is that you don't have market drivers that that insist that you have high quality because that's what the market will bear. You have a place where people could have put up something fairly shoddy and get away with it unless there's something within the city guidelines or the community guidelines that say it needs to be attractive and it needs to fit within the character of this neighborhood that we all know and love. I mean, there's a, there's a historic character to McKinley neighbors that's, you know, existed since, um, since the tide flats, because this is where the workers came to work, um, came to build their houses. Um, So what I heard was not anybody saying we don't want that. What I heard was people talking about how do we create more vitality? What sort of businesses do we want? What can we incentivize? How do we make sure there's safe sidewalks and slower traffic? Um, items of that nature. Yeah. Um, with this program, there is also $50,000 available so that it, when they come to the end of it and there's some projects to implement, they can begin implementing some of those projects. And it's things like preserving green space, making sure there's walkability. Right. Another exciting project that's happening there that really encouraged me to work to get this funding for this project is the Galt Middle School site. It's been, uh, it was taken out of the school system when they consolidated schools about a decade ago. um, And they had closed the school that's at the the current First Creek site, as well as Galt and made one larger middle school. That site has sat vacant all this time and it's created quite a nemesis in the neighborhood that has been very difficult, very difficult to manage. And I, I mean, I can't understate for the people that live nearby, it's been very, very challenging. Um, now the school district is working with um, 
the city and the development community and everybody else and putting together an RFP to see what can happen there and to transfer the land, hopefully, to somebody who can, I'm going to say turn dirt because I don't want people, I'm cautious of people land banking that or it would stay a nemesis. They've pulled a demo permit on everything except the historic portion of the building and they're looking for contractors now. So we'll expect to see the exterior buildings that have been highly prob problematic come down um, later this spring, which is it's, it's very odd to be very excited about buildings coming down, but when they've been this much of a nemesis, you'd understand. Um, the other portion is considered historic. So as a representative of the fourth district in the east side and areas of our country that in urban, in urban areas of higher need, we have a tendency to erase history. And I'm hoping that we don't do that here, um, but it could be financially impossible to save it. I don't know. So I'm, I'm keeping a close eye on that. That's great. All right. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time uh, to sit down and talk about uh, some of the issues affecting Tacoma and District 4. And if anyone wants to, uh, you know, they're inspired by our conversation um, and wants to reach out, what's the best way to, to find you? Catherine.ushka at cityoftacoma.org. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for uh, being on Citizen Tacoma. Thanks for having me. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. Citizen Tacoma is part of the Channel 253 podcast network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.